Hey, everybody, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Edition. We will get to our regularly scheduled podcast in just a moment. One that, by the way, Mike Johnson will be hosting because, as you might be able to tell, I'm a little under the weather right now. But uh, before we roll the podcast that we taped earlier today, a couple of pieces uh, of breaking news. Um, just wanted to acknowledge, we're not going to go into them in depth on the podcast because we taped before they hit, but a couple pieces of news here. Robin Doolittle from the Globe and Mail reporting that five members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender to London, Ontario police to face charges of sexual assault. Now, they are uh, reporting this, citing unnamed sources. The Globe also reporting the players who have not been charged yet have been given a set period of time to present themselves at London Police Headquarters. So again, that report from Robin Doolittle of the Globe and Mail. And then on expansion news, the Smith Entertainment Group out of Utah has formally requested that the National Hockey League initiate an expansion process with the ultimate purpose of bringing an NHL franchise to Utah. So still many, many hurdles to clear in that story, but it's one that we will certainly be hearing a lot about in the weeks and months to come. So those two stories dropping mid-morning here uh, before we were able to tape the podcast, but Mike Johnson, Pierre Lebrun with lots of other quality information. Here's Got You Back, NHL edition. All right, welcome in to a very special edition of Got Your Back NHL edition. You might notice a different voice and a different face, much more pleasant in both counts. Mike Johnson along with Pierre <laughs> Lebrun today. No Ryan Rashog. Finally, catering to our whims, Pierre, where we get to do exactly what we want to do. And as always, this episode of Got Your Back NHL edition brought to you by Kuma Outdoor Gear. Kuma Outdoor Gear has a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs from tents, sleeping bags, travel games, pet products, and drinkware. And not to mention Shoggy's favorite, the world's first heated chair powered by Bluetooth technology, the Kuma Switchback Chair. You can sit in it, use your phone to heat it up when it's getting cold as it is everywhere in Canada right now. Kuma Outdoor Gear, experience luxury outdoors. P, we made it happen. We dropped the dead weight. And we finally have our two-man show. Are you excited for today? Well, <clears throat> you notice who they asked to be the emergency host. Not me. <laughs> they went to the very intelligent Mystic Mike, mm-hmm. which was the right choice. Mm-hmm. You know what's going to happen? This is a show that's going to go in a time capsule. And this is part of history. I mean, this is the first Got Your Back Without Ryan Rashog as host. This We're making history here. So just keep that in mind as we... Move on. Every one of these times this comes up, I come to think of Wally Pip, who famously lost his position to Lou Gehrig when he was not able to play one day. And 20 years later, Lou Gehrig finally missed his last game. So I'm not saying I'm Wally Pipping Shoggy, but you never, ever know, Pierre. So we'll see. We got lots to get through. Lots going around around the league. So let's get to the breakdown. And the breakdown brought to you by Kinprints. With over 100 years combined experience, if you can dream it, Kinprint can make it happen, providing embroidery, signage, printing, logo design. Let Kinprint help you make your brand, take your brand to the next level with their high-quality top-of-line apparel. Kinprint can help you with promotional products to showcase your company with class. See how this local family-owned company can assist you with your needs. Visit kinprint.ca. So, Pierre, stop if we've been here before. The headline around the NHL is... The Edmonton Oilers, they just won't lose. 
what when you think about them and this run that they're on, just at first blush, what is your thoughts with now stringing off 14 straight wins? Yeah, my first thought is how they've done it in many different ways. I mean, first of all, they've done a lot with defense and penalty kill, which is not what you first think of with this team, the way it's composed. Uh, they've done it getting contributions from throughout the lineup, which goes against the narrative that other people have for them outside their market. So there's so many things to like about what's happening right now. And they're one more win away, MJ. Yeah, I know you love this stuff. From not only extending their franchise record win streak, but from tying their franchise record unbeaten streak, which, of course, is no longer no longer really exists in the NHL because of the shootout. But in 84-85, they actually started the season on a 12-0-3 streak, three being ties, which is a franchise record unbeaten streak for the Edmonton Oilers. So weirdly enough, even though a 15-game win streak is way more impressive than a 15-game unbeaten streak, this year's Oilers would supplant both. You know, mm. but who knows? Yeah, and in many they, they ways, not, that's apples knows to apples, right? Down. Like 15, you know, unbeaten to yeah. winless right now. That, that's apples to apples. Because you're always wondering, like, how could this possibly be better than the 80s Oilers? At any point, they must have ran off 20 in a row. Right. But with the ties and everything else, it wasn't a winning streak. You mentioned doing it by committee. Because everyone just associates Edmonton success with, of course, McDavid, Drysaddle. You can throw Hyman in there. You can throw Evan Bouchard. You do, But, like, the big stars. But you look at their 14 games that they've won. Been 11 different players with a game-winning and one game-deciding goal uh, in a shootout. Mm. 11 different players, Pierre. This has not been the McDavid and Drysaddle show solely. So, like, I-, I watch them play now, and you're thinking, well, we knew they were looking for probably a top-six upgrade. And we'll get to Corey Perry in a minute. But maybe they've found their top-six upgrade in Warren Fogle. Like, has Warren Fogle played well enough to maybe take a little pressure off Ken Holland because all of a sudden, Kane, Drysaddle, Fogel on the second line, he's producing well enough that maybe they don't have to sell the farm to go get a top six upgrade that might be floating out there somewhere. I've been surprised that he's been able to do it as well as he has, even though he's playing with very good players. Does his emergence change the dynamic heading towards a trade deadline, Pierre? I mean, it might. And and certainly he's always had the skating ability to fit on this team, which is yeah. part of why the Oilers went out and got him. It was always the fact that he couldn't seem to finish like a lot of players on that team. So he's, he's showing us something different that we haven't really seen consistently before. But, you know, I never thought that even though, yes, I know that getting another forward was probably part of the wish list. But the priori- priority for me, if I'm Ken Holland still, is to make sure that you feel good in net. And not, not in terms of, of Skinner. Obviously, you feel really good about what you've seen from him now for an extended period. But, you know, Shaggy's mentioned this. In terms of knowing... You don't want to run Skinner down into the ground here from here to the playoffs, mm-hmm. which I think the Oilers felt they did last year with Skinner. And so I think the priority still, even though it's goalie voodoo these days and nothing seems to make sense, I, I think you got to bring in another veteran. Unless the Jack Campbell comeback tour is on. That's the only other possibility. <laughs> but but honestly, I'd be knocking out the door of, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury or Jake Allen or Peter Morazic, whatever the case is. I just want someone there that in March, especially a busy month for the Oilers, Skinner's not out there every, every day, and he enters the playoffs in, in a better place, both mentally and physically, not having anything run down. Yeah, that's an important point, though. When you think about getting an extra goalie, it's not just what if he falls in, in the playoffs, like getting the guy you have in a good spot for the playoffs. 
right? Allowing Skinner to be rested mentally, physically, emotionally, so we can take a two-month run at this level. He's been incredible. Um, you know, he's been rolling along quite nicely. And you think about how dominant the Oilers have been. This hasn't been squeakers outscoring their opponents 54 to 23 in this 14-game run. 31 goal differential in just 14 games. They're winning by a couple night in and night out. It's been incredible for them. And the power play hasn't been clicking to the same degree that you might expect it to in this kind of run. So you put all that together, think this team is playing about as well as they possibly can. And yet they go out and add Corey Perry. So we, I think we know what Corey Perry can do on the ice. Like, I think we know he brings that experience we know that he brings the grit and the jam. He can still produce and score goals. We know he can toe the line in the playoffs and get under people's skin. In the last 30 years, there's only been one Stanley Cup winner, Pierre, that has not had any Stanley Cup winners on their roster. That was 2019 Blues. Every other team has some previous Stanley Cup winner playing for them. The Oilers mm. didn't have that. They have that now with Corey Perry. So. I, I guess we, I, I understand why they did it, but there's always the risk of messing with a good thing when it's really good right now in Edmonton. Corey Perry planning to play, I think, on Saturday, Pierre. What do you think his impact could be for Edmonton? Yeah, well, this goes back to, as Ken Allen spoke about himself with the media in Edmonton, that he's been after Corey Perry really from the moment he got bought out by the Anaheim Ducks a number of years ago and just kept you know, missing out on all these opportunities as Corey Perry kept bouncing around from one team to another. Um, and so sometimes as a GM, you, you kind of get, you know, I'm going to keep trying on this guy until the day I finally get him. So there's some of that in this, some of what you just said. I, I think Stanley Cup experience, although it should be pointed out that um, he won his cup so early in his career in 07 and Anaheim. And I bet you really Corey Perry's feeling about the cup right now is that he went to, what was it, three straight cup finals and lost? Three two. in a row, three different teams. Three. Montreal, yeah, Montreal, Tampa. Montreal, Dallas, Tampa. Yeah, Montreal, right. Dallas, Tampa, three in a row. That's right. Thanks for my uh, pandemic memory coming into gear there. Um, so he probably feels just as eager, to be honest, to, to, to win another one as far as the rest of the roster wanting to win their first one. Um, and, and, of course, we can't mention this without saying that there's also risk involved in this in the story itself. I mean, I mean, we still don't know 100% what happened in Chicago. No one involved, despite our repeated attempts, wants to confirm exactly what we, you know, what what, what we think we've been told. Um, Corey Perry, you know, handled that on the first day of Edmonton. Doesn't want to talk about it. Um, you know, Ken Holland says he did as much as he can his due diligence. Although again, he, he doesn't know for sure either. So that's an interesting. Story, same team that mm. took a chance, completely different story, but also took a chance, you know, PR-wise, I guess you could say, with Evander Kane. And really, that signing has not blown back on them at all since they brought him in, right? So I guess they feel emboldened that, you know, they can they can take a chance that way. On some level, Pierre, if I was a player on Edmonton, and I get confidentiality and I get not even want to talk about it, certainly publicly for Corey Perry, alluding to his statement, covering everything he wants to say about it, but if I play for Edmonton or if I'm in the organization of the Oilers, I think there would probably be some clarity offered from the organization or from Corey Perry about what happened or the degree of what happened, whatever happened, so that everybody feels comfortable about the new person in the organization, not just the players, 
coaching mm-hmm. staff, training staff, management staff, anyone who's going to be around Corey Perry, I think maybe there would be some sort of conversation about, you know, just putting people at ease that it, they'll, they'll feel good about who they're going to go to work with. And I get him not doing it publicly. We may never know this. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think as a teammate, I, I kind of would want to know so that, you know, you feel good about who you're working with. That's interesting. That's something you would think of that, that I wouldn't naturally think of. Yeah. As a former player. Um, and the other thing in all this is that Corey Perry chose the Oilers, not just the Oilers choosing Corey Perry. Right. I know, I know that um, you know the list of teams that initially checked in over the past month was in double digits, and got whittled down because some bailed out, and and obviously Perry himself and his agent Pat Morris whittled the list down. But knowing that it was going to be a bargain basement price in a world where no one has cap mm-hmm. room, and 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 again, I think teams willing to deal with any potential backlash, there was sizable interest. And so it is, to me, a bit surprising that he ends up on a Canadian team, to be honest, because I think that part of this, if he wanted more privacy and people to leave him alone, boy, life would have been a easier for playing <laughs> in Florida or whatever, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, then again, I you know I don't know what the Edmonton media can really do. Uh, they've asked, and maybe someone will try again right. at some point on a quiet road day where there's fewer media traveling. But I suspect the answer will continue to be the same yeah. from Gory Perry. Yeah, they're not going to get anything there. And, and I don't know if he owes the media anything, but maybe his teammates is a bit different than the media. But either way, I'm sure we'll be here next week again, Pierre, talking about the Oilers and where they're at 17 games or wherever they're at, as it seems they are destined not to lose. And you start thinking about the standings. They've already passed L.A. They have tons of games in hand on Vegas. And you don't want to be too bold. And as great as Vancouver's year has been, like you almost wonder, is the top of the Pacific even in the cards? I know it's a long way to go, and at some point they will lose some games, but it's amazing how much they've climbed and how good a position they put themselves in the rest of the year. Two, nine, and one to start the year. Wild. <laughs> Wild. Firing the coach. Everything was not working. Goalies, oh. both of them were going to the minors, and here they are, the hottest team, making some of us that they were in a Stanley Cup look feeling a little bit better about their choices from the preseason yeah. prediction show. So yeah, we'll see. And, you got a ways to go, but the only thing I'll say too is is can we stop with the U.S. Thanksgiving point of no return now with the standings? Because now with the Blues and the Oilers, and I just feel like the first of all the calendars changed. The season is starting later than it used to, so it doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. anymore. I, I, we need to stop with that. Well, I think the numbers speak to about 75% of the teams in at Thanksgiving. U.S. Thanksgiving make it. So 12 of 16. So it can definitely happen. And the Oilers are making it happen big time. But what is one interesting dynamic as we leave the Oilers behind us is that Connor McDavid has not lit it up in this run. Yes, he's leading them in points. He's got 19 points only, only in 14 games. You think if the Oilers win 14 in a row, McDavid might have 35 points. He's got 19 points. So... Your attention now turns to the Art Ross race between McKinnon and Kucherov. McDavid, 20 points behind. I don't think he's going to catch either one of these guys because they're not backing up. How do you feel about two very different players challenging for a contested scoring title? We haven't had that in a while. Yeah, and I think like McKinnon right now is my pick for the heart because I think with the injuries mm. that the Avalanche have had um, – 
I really feel he's put a lot on his plate. And you watch them play, it's as good as he's ever looked, to be honest, which is great to see because mm-hmm. the guy is about a lot too injury-wise. But let's not take anything away from Kucherov because similarly, the Lightning are more, um, as top-heavy as they've ever been during this run. You know, they don't have the same depth. Um, they really count on him and Braden Point to keep doing what they're doing. Otherwise, they don't win games. And so from that perspective, when you when you think of the Hart Trophy and if you care about it, the purity of the definition and so on, MVP, I think Kucherov case is really understated. You know, he doesn't get as much mention as some mm-hmm. of the other candidates. Um, yeah, really a fantastic Why is that, Pierre? Why do you think that is? I don't winger, know. You know, demeanor, winger, or style. Is there like? Is there lightning? Well, he definitely doesn't do a lot of media. Um, yeah. You know, he um, there could be some lightning fatigue out there. You know, um, they've been near the top of the heap for a long time, and uh, and we know their stories. And it's like, unfortunately, it's sort of human nature, right? When when uh, when you've had enough mm-hmm. of that, so. But he deserves to be in that conversation, and I wouldn't forget Austin Matthews. Now he just doesn't pick up enough assists, I guess. But in terms of the Hart Trophy conversation mm-hmm. man when you're scoring all your team's goals seemingly <laughs> you got to be in there somewhere it's unreal uh, oh, and, and again on a team that can't go probably a week or two without him scoring right mm-hmm. yeah uh, so Talk again in, in the MVP, yes. yeah in the mvp definition conversation i think matthews is building his case as well all right well so i will just i'll say this like i think everyone very widely publicly sort of admires how Nathan McKinnon plays, like the physicality with the, how he plays. Like we know we can score and he's a volume shooter and he's, he skates so well, but just the intensity and physicality that really resonates with fans, media, also other players. Like we look at Nathan McKinnon, like he's so unusual to have some that much skill and play that physically hard. He's like Ovi, but almost like more polished than Ovi. Right. He didn't score like Ovi did, but like that degree of physicality, but make no mistake about it, for players, we also marvel at Kucherov. Like, for the players, they look at him like, holy shnikes. Like, the, the stuff he does with the puck, the way he can move it around, the shots he makes, all the million subtle plays and decisions he makes every game. As a player, like, that guy is outrageously good. And even though it doesn't look quite as intense as Nathan McKinnon, I think to the guys he plays against, they're like, that guy is is otherworldly. So not the Hart Trophy race, though, Pierre. The Art Ross, most points. Right. Kucherov just got to 80. Who do you think? He's, he's slightly ahead. He's on pace for, what, 138. McKinnon on pace for 134. Kucherov has missed one game. If you had to handicap that, put your prognosticator Pierre hat on and say, who do you think gets it done in the end? Whew, it's going to be close. I'm still going to go McKinnon. Mm. I'm just envisioning him taking those sweet saucer passes from Kale McCarr on the power play. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go McKinnon. See, I would go the other way. I would go Kucherov because for the same reason, the power play on Tampa, like it all yeah. runs through him and he just piles yep. it up and he's so good at it. And I don't think it's going to change. And Colorado may be in a spot with 10 games left to say, oh, let's shave McKinnon to 19 minutes a night from 23. Will Tampa be in that same position? I don't think so. I think Tampa will be grinding right, right to the end. And Kucherov, who's been here before, who's won an Art Ross, who's won a Hart, he's done this before. I think he gets it done again. But either way, it'll be, it'll be nice to see a race 
because, you know, I, I think for a guy like Nathan McKinnon, who doesn't have the individual hardware, despite having like a Hall of Fame kind of career, I think the stuff he's, you know, he's obviously concerned with Stanley Cups, but like, don't you get the sense that Nathan McKinnon also wants that individual recognition that he is also a heart guy, an heart Ross guy, like one of the best guys? For sure. I mean, think about where he's from and who he trains with every summer and the conversations those two guys mm-hmm. have. They're fans of the game and they're fans of history, especially Sidney Crosby. But uh, all that stuff would matter to Nathan McKinnon for sure. And, uh, you know, I've chatted with him many times over the years and he he burns hot. I mean, his his competitive uh, his competitive level was super high, as high as anyone in the league. So, yeah, I mean, certainly winning that cup was priority number one. In his career, and a huge relief, and 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 uh, you know his his demeanor that night on the ice, I'll never forget. I mean, it just meant so much to him uh, because I think he carried the burden for that franchise mm. about wanting to win one. But it's funny that you mention all this. Uh, you know, the heart, the Art Ross. I can just see Connor McDavid saying, "You guys do all that stuff. There's a trophy I'm after. Sure, a trophy I'm focused yeah. on. You know." Yeah, he'd gladly swap another Art Ross Hart, everything for that one Stanley Cup that both McKinnon and Kucherov have already won. So we'll see how that shakes yeah. out. But it's fun to look at the standings and have guys jockeying back and forth chasing a scoring title. Now, move around the league. I don't know, Pierre, if this is good news or if this is bad news. The Ottawa Senators seem to be finding something. 3-0 and won their last four. They've looked pretty good against Winnipeg, against Philly, both pretty good teams. Yes, they took care of Montreal, not such a good team. But are they sort of figuring it out and is that even a good thing at this point in the season yes and i uh heard your lovely work with brian mudrick on the Habs region uh, <laughs> tsn telecast of that game uh last night um not a good game for the for the home team Mm-mm. i i guess some of jacques martin's uh instruction is finally <laughs> seeping in but and I would say, yes, it is a good thing. And I'll tell you why it's a good thing. I mean, the Senators know they're out of it. But the idea of putting themselves in a better place mentally heading into camp is really important to Steve Steos and Michael Anlauer. Like, Steve Steos has been on the phone looking at possibilities to bring in some, you know, what they would call pros or veterans, you know, more Claude Giroux types. Um, for a reason, because they, they, they want to fix the culture there and they want to get this thing in a better place for when camp starts next year. So yeah, it might hurt their draft ranking, but how many young players can you get into that team at this point? <laughs> like it's time to turn a corner and, uh, and I don't mind it for them. And in fact, it's the Habs that are imploding a bit now. And I'm not sure that's not a bad thing for them. I know there's some criticism right. now and maybe the honeymoon's over for Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. It's all ridiculous. They were never going to make the playoffs this year. And, on, and honestly, the Habs, for a long time this year, have hurt themselves for where they should be drafting come June. And maybe this is what's happening right now is actually good for them. Big picture. Yeah, and, and the Habs have been carried so much by their goaltending this year, which will have to be shaked, sorted out at some point. They're going to trade one of those guys. But, you know, for Ottawa, I think you're right. If you talk to the guys, and I was around our call, former colleague Dave Poulin last night, and, and they want to win. They want right. to try to change the, the, the expectation and the, and, and the performance and the feeling around the club, even if it costs them three draft slots. They don't care about that. They'd rather finish the season strong. Um, although I do wonder, because I've always been of the mindset, and I played on teams that switch coaches in the middle of the year. Pierre, it's not that hard. Like, it, nothing takes that much time to figure out. Like, 
you know, Jacques Martet system, they finally got him. Like it's been whatever, a month. I guess like nothing is that hard. So I don't necessarily buy that completely, but I do buy Shane Pinto showing up and he's been pretty good. Yeah. I've taken half a year off and scored his first goal against Montreal, got an assist. Great story about how his family put everyone put the countdown clocks on their phone to his first game as a family. So everyone that knew that that game against Philly was going to be his first one. Parents drove down from Long Island, grandparents up from Florida to watch him, support him. But maybe he's another guy that they didn't realize how much a player like him they were going to miss until they didn't have him. I think they realized it, MJ. I think that was a big mm. blow at the start of the year when they when he got suspended because he was pretty good last year. And it's funny, when he comes back, it just feels like everything falls more into place up front for them too. Right. Um, and so, again, like it's not – like this team is talented. It's really frustrating, to be honest, how this year has played out for all kinds of reasons. But this team, you look at what Detroit is doing, I thought that would have been Ottawa. Of course, I'm wrong. But, I, you know, mm. that was a step I thought that might be coming. But, again, defensively, net mining-wise, uh, still struggles this year for that team. But it goes beyond that. I mean, I, again, it's, it's about, you know, we'll look back in 10 years and say, you know, should Pierre Dorian have extended so many young players to, to long-term deals? Not mm. everyone can. We talked about this, right, recently. I mean, not everyone can handle that kind of pressure. And, and you understand CBA-wise why you want to do it, because in a market like Ottawa, you're trying to buy UFA years and keep guys longer. And, and, and you think that the AV will actually be a bargain in some cases as the cap goes up. But I, re- I talked about this with a GM recently from another organization, and he says they talk about it all the time internally. Not every player on the team can handle it at a young age, the eight-year extension mm-hmm. or the seven-year extension. It, it, you give it to some guys, but I think with other guys, you got to keep them hungrier, if that makes any sense. Even if it costs yeah, money. On keep the them on time. edge. Like, even if it costs money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it'll, if you get better performance, it's probably money well spent. So Ottawa going the right direction. The Flames, Pierre, going in the wrong direction. Um, they, they, they've lost three in a row after winning four in a row. Now, maybe them stubbing their toe a little bit, and there's still lots of time left, and they're kind of around the pile still. Does it make Craig Conroy's job easier? Because you know, like, he's been so clear. I'm not going to let my UFA to bees get to UFA time, which means either Tanev, Hannafin, uh, Lindholm sign contracts, or they get dealt before the deadline. Doesn't seem like they're going to be signing contracts anytime soon. Does that make it easier? Like, if they fall a bit further out to say, okay, it's time to, it's time to make some trades. Well, it's funny. You started all this by saying, you know, the Flames are going the wrong direction. Who are you asking that? Yeah, I think if you're asking Ryan Oska, the head coach, he'd say they're going the wrong direction. But maybe if you're mm-hmm. asking Craig Conroy or anyone in management, secretly they're like, okay, mm-hmm. this clarifies mm-hmm. thing for us. I mean, big picture versus the here and now. Coach versus management. Different, often different uh, viewpoints on these things. And I think for the Flames, um, it would be ridiculous to not maximize asset value for those pending UFAs if you don't think you're signing them. You know, the Hannafin thing has been interesting because they almost signed him early in the year. And then, you know, he backed off. And and then over the last month, it's like, well, they're talking again. So who knows where that ends up? And maybe there's sort of a pragmatic approach where can you sign Hannafin and then trade Tanev and and Lindholm and say we're doing a bit of both? Because at the end of the day, you're not going for a full rebuild in Calgary. You can't when you have Huberto and Kadri signed to those contracts. You have to do a shuffle. And, and mm-hmm. but it's still about asset management. And 
you know, unless there's a, you know, something that happens on the Lindholm front where there really hasn't been anything all year, you have to trade them at this point. Like they're, they're not getting in. Do- no, and even if they got in, they're not really a threat to win a cup. They're just they're just not there as a team. So you got to take that into consideration. Now, it seems like first rounders used to be traded at the deadline for rentals with a far greater regularity than they are now. Those are three pretty prominent names. Do you mm-hmm. think like first rounders would go for Lindholm? Would you would you get a first rounder for Tana for Hannafin? And let's just assume no extension. Let's just assume they're traded as rentals because I don't know if the rental market is going to be as robust for the sellers if they think they're going to get mm-hmm. like what they got for Zadorov. That was a pretty, it was, a, it was a nice return, but it wasn't first rounder return. Like, do you think mm-hmm. these guys w- will get that? Will they warrant that? Well, Orloff went for first last year. And, and so, you know, wouldn't you have Hannafin in the same ballpark? But last year's last year. Every, every year mm-hmm. the trade deadline right. market is its own organism that develops its own path. It's hard to compare one year to another. Although the sellers and the buyers try to use that to their advantage. Um, you know, Ben Chirot went for a first. Uh, David Savard went for a first. They, they all end up being really this low first, but I'm just saying those are rental D. Um, the thing that I, I brought this up in my piece to The Athletic with Kevin Shoveldayoff, uh, we got into a bunch of different things, but he agreed to something that I've been hearing from his colleagues throughout the league over the last couple of weeks. There's this narrative taking hold, and I don't know if it's something they're talking themselves into or that they truly believe, but that this is the most wide open field that's ever been for the Stanley Cup this year. And, and you know, mm-hmm. all these NHL front offices are coming out of their pro scouting meetings. The Jets had theirs last year, uh, last week. And, you know, Cheryl Dayoff said, it, it, you know, because number eight Florida last year, I said, well, is that an aberration? He goes, no. He said, there are going to be a lot of good teams losing in the first round. And he goes, there's a bunch of these teams from first to the wild card separating by a point or two. The parity is real. And so the point is, what I'm hearing from some teams is twofold. you got teams at the top that we consider at the top, right, who are saying, how much better are we really than the team we're going to play in the first round? And should we be spending a first-round pick on a rental if it's that wide open? So some mm-hmm. of that is creeping into their thinking, although I think their competitive juices end up taking over. But then you got the bubble teams, and I'll give you Pittsburgh, MJ. I think there's some GMs on bubble teams that are thinking, man, this is wide open. If we just get in, who knows? And and I understand that we've actually been saying that for years, but I don't know that people truly believe that. I think they were selling that to ownership or the fans. I think now people really in front offices believe mm. that it's that there's another number eight Florida out there. And hmm. and so if you're Pittsburgh, does that if you're only two points out on March eighth, do you keep Gensel as your own rental? Because if we get in and he's a playoff monster, he always has been, we'll go knock off whoever, Rangers or Boston. And I know you're gonna say, Well, no, I don't think Pittsburgh's gonna beat those teams. Okay, well, hundred and thirty five point Boston lost last year. I don't know. Right. I mean it's yeah. It, it, so so this thinking I've really picked up, picked up on the last couple of weeks, MJ, about both the teams at the top and the teams in the bubble seemingly agreeing that it's as wide open as it's ever been. And I'm trying to process in my mind if that's going to impact March 8th. And I got to mm-hmm. think if everyone thinks it's a wide open field that it probably affects the sellers more than anyone. Like, in other words, why am I mortgaging such a big piece right. of our future if it's a, almost a flip of a coin in every playoff series? Right. And maybe the idea of that old rental sticks around. Now, maybe to tie that in, another team that's on the bubble, New Jersey. 
Tom Fitzgerald gets a three-year extension. So just thoughts on getting a GM signed for a team that's sort of underachieving, but also maybe tied into Calgary. Like Jacob Markstrom didn't have a great game last night against St. Louis as we taped this on Wednesday. But, you know, could that be a fit for a guy like Markstrom? Like is, is, is Jersey in the market to get a goaltender, get Jack Hughes healthy, hopefully after the trade deadline and make a run because, or after the All-Star break and make a run because they have sort of underachieved this year with a ton of injuries and goaltending issues. Yeah, I'm, I think they're in a market, and they have been for a long time now, for both a goalie and a mm. D. Calgary has screamed blockbuster package to me the whole time, where it, can you convince Jacob Markstrom to wave? Can you convince the Flames to trade him? He's got a full no move. And and uh, and include Tanev or Hannafin in that deal, and, and, and you get everything taken care of if you're the Devils in that deal, and not just for this year, but in the case of Markstrom, you kind of solve things in goal for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned this name last week, which surprised a lot of people. It surprised me when I got wind of it. But UC Saros, I think very quietly. Yes. Saying, they're just saying, because we know what publicly Barry Trotz has said, that they that, that they intend to extend him this summer, which I believe is still, you know, the, the most likely outcome. But I think what has happened is there are so many teams in dire need of a goalie upgrade that the Predators have said, we're not doing our job if we don't let teams call and just say, Here's what we'd be willing to do. So I think those conversations are starting to happen. Again, I think Saros mm. probably stays put. He's got a year and a half left on his contract. Uh, Askarov has been playing really well in Milwaukee. So it's an interesting position. And my point is, going back to New Jersey, and frankly, I'll throw Carolina in there. You got, I mean, Carolina is, is they're so close, but could goaltending cost them? And, and, I don't know. Like I'd be all over all those teams trying to find a solution. Yeah. When you, I mean, Saros yeah. to me is those a top, big top five more in the world. Yeah. 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 He's not having a good year this year, and and I wonder how much the numbers maybe, are down. You know, the 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 pending contract extension is maybe weighing on him. Maybe some of the conversation that he might be available in some capacity might be weighing on him. He, these guys are human. They hear it. They know it. And and maybe that's affecting his confidence a little bit, but. We'll see. I mean, if you had a Markstrom into Carolina or a Saros into Jersey for a couple of years, like that changes the complexion of pretty good teams in a major way in the world you're talking about where it's open to maybe anyone to, to go on a deep run. So we'll see how aggressive those teams are. And all right, Pierre, one other bubble team that made some news. We haven't talked to you about this yet. Patrick Roy. Patrick Roy back in the NHL. I, I don't know. Lou, of course, pulls it off quietly in a very stealth-like manner. I always say this. If Patrick Waugh's name was John Smith, and he had coached in the NHL, won the coach of the year, he left, however he left, went back and coached in junior for a decade, ran a team, won Memorial Cups, that guy would be the top coaching prospect in the world. The fact that it's Patrick Waugh doesn't change the fact that his path has led him to warrant another shot in the NHL. Now, what I like the most about his introductory presser, Pierre, is that part of Patrick Waugh's demeanor early in Colorado was that he was still larger than life. And he was still part of management, as he was part of management, involved in roster shaping. And he just, you know, he, he sounded almost humbled by his time away, matured, maybe reflective and sort of, wiser for his time away and if he brings that with the acumen and the passion 
I would expect him to be a pretty good NHL coach today. Um, league's always better with Patrick Waz back in it. Do you, do you like this from the from the Islanders? The timing of it? Are they trying to salvage this year? Like, what what are they doing with Patrick Waz? Why now? They are trying to salvage this year. Absolutely. Um, you know, the roster is the roster. I think there's some flaws in that roster, so we'll see. Patrick Waz is a great coach, and so that part, I, mm. I, I'm not. I don't have doubts about that part. I do. I did have some doubts when the, the announcement was made Saturday about how much he's been paying attention to the NHL game, to the detail of trends and, and different systems. And I was told by another NHL head coach who had talked to him uh, over the past year, uh, yeah, he's on top of it. And so, hmm. you know, I think that's a chance to be good. And, you know, I thought it was great. I reached out to Joe Sackick that night, and, and, and we know how things ended in Colorado in 2016. And Joe Sackick, genuinely, you could hear in his voice, was thrilled for his old pal. And, you know, and, and they're fine now. In fact, they, they hung out at of Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto. They hung out together. Uh, the late Pierre Lacroix was going in, and, um, and Patrick and Joe could be seen everywhere. Um, he was genuinely happy that Patrick Waugh got another shot. Uh, to coach in the NHL. You could hear that in Joe Sackick's voice. And, and and listen, you covered a lot of it, MJ, but really the key here is Patrick Waugh hurt himself for a long time. When I would talk to front offices, they were concerned that he had he had a, a, an official stake in Colorado in management with a management title, but that they worried, even if they didn't give him one, that he would try and veer himself mm-hmm. into that if they hired him. And that was always something that I would hear from from NHL front offices. It, it, it's really good to hear Patrick Waugh say over the last year, I now realize you can't either coach or you're in management. You can't do both. Took him a long time to get there, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and, and he's in the and right decided. organization, Pierre. Well, like he's, he's not going to have Lou Lamorello. Yeah, you know, roll exactly. into Lou's office. Hey, Lou, yeah. um, I want a forward for my third line. Lou's like, get out of here. Go coach the team. Like he's, he's in the right spot. But but I'll tell you what this could do. Like even if he doesn't turn around the Islanders and and the Islanders, in you know two years from now have to go a whole different path, whether that means new GM and and rebuild it, whatever. I think what this does, though, honestly, if you really want to go bigger picture, this might set up Patrick Waugh now for the next job or two. He's back, hmm. so now he might be back in a way where other teams are like, oh man, I can't wait till his time in Long Island be over because I want to get in on that. That that's what I predict will happen. Right. And just for the record, I know you're curious, Pierre. The quiz master dug it out. I did score one goal against Patrick Watt. So I got one oh, on surprised by that. <laughs> with Colorado when I was playing in Arizona. So I got one on him, which I will take. Also worth noting, tomorrow night, Islanders at Montreal should be an electric atmosphere. Do you think it'll be just like a shower, like just outpouring of love for Patrick Watt by the Montreal fans? I think, yeah, I think he'll be pretty positive in terms of his reception. He's he's still an absolute god there. Uh, and it's interesting, by the way, Lula Morello, and I can't believe I've never asked him this over the years, but he, he loves former Habs legends. I mean, uh, hmm. Larry Robinson coached a Stanley Cup team for him in New Jersey, Jacques Lemaire, the late Pat Burns, uh, Claude Julien. A lot of former Habs end up coaching for Lula hmm. Morello. So just saying, interestingly. There you go. Well, a lot of success in Montreal to try to emulate. Maybe he's trying to do that. One more thought around the league before we get to our own version of red card, yellow card, no card to end the show. Uh, Aiden Hill back for Vegas. Bruce Cassidy, some strong words after a tough loss a couple games ago. B. 
beer league hockey, preseason hockey, unacceptable. Aiden Hill comes back. They've been missing him. When he's been healthy, he's been as good as anybody in the league. Does he turn Vegas around? I think he probably does. And if the Olympic team was being picked for Canada today, is he your starter? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I guess he kind of has to be, right? Um, has to be. Yeah. I mean, he won the cup. His numbers, and good for him because, let's be honest, I mean, you know, a lot of people were like, yeah, well, behind that blue line, any of their five goalies could have won the cup, which, by the way, could have been true. <laughs> but, Maybe, yeah. But he was still tremendous last spring under pressure when there were moments where, you know, especially coming in the way he did in, in the Edmonton series. And, and but the point I'm getting at is I think people were waiting for him to fall back this year because it was like, okay, he caught lightning in a bottle. Well, no, I mean, when he's been healthy this year, early in the year, and now he's back, but his numbers are spectacular. So, um, yes, yeah. the answer is 11, yeah. 2 and 2, 1, 9, 3, 9, 35, return with a 40 save performance and a win against the Islanders. He's back, baby, and maybe Vegas is as well. So, that wraps it up here for our tour around the league. And before we run too long, you and I chatting away like we're on the dock in the summer, we have to do our favorites, the red card, yellow card, no card. Terry Ryan's too busy playing pro hockey and on a whirlwind PR tour to help us out. So it's just going to be me awesome as the arbiter of all things cardish. Okay, so an amazing sequence in Arizona the other night where Pittsburgh oh. scored on their own net with the goalie out. Chris Letang drops it back to Evgeny Malkin. Malkin sort of mishandles it, and it goes in his own net. After the game, Chris Letang, obviously frustrations are brewing. He says, I should know better, I guess. I guess I'll learn from that with a little bit of a tone. And then he says again, well, if you look at what I did, my pass was going in the corner. I guess I should know better to do something like that with a little bit of tone. So I'm going to say red card, yellow card, no card was Chris Letang Sewering his teammate, his longtime teammate of Kenny Malkin, with his comments post game after the dreaded own goal. I'm going to give him a yellow because I think that's what I read too in that quote. But the reason I'm not giving him a, a red MJ is because Malkin apparently did not come out and talk to the media. And I get that he's not done a lot of media over the years. It's one of the many reasons he loves playing behind Cindy Crosby. But mm -hmm. I think that's a red flag, frankly, on Evgeny Malkin. Like, that's a brutal moment. May come back to haunt you. Maybe the Penguins don't recover from this. You got to come out and talk to the, this probably just two or three, you know, media that, that traveled on this road trip to Pittsburgh. You should be talking to them and explaining what happened there. So, yellow on Latang, okay. red on Malkin. Wow. Just grabbing extra cards, throwing them out there. I like it. Okay, I'm with you. Everybody gets a card, Oprah. Go. I'm going to say yellow. Yellow for Latang, because generally speaking, you should always take the high road, never give it to a teammate in the media. You know, even if you want to give it to him privately, go ahead. But in the media, you're like, you know what, bad play, whatever. But I get the frustration. I get it was a brutal game for Pittsburgh. They looked no good against Arizona. And he's right. He did pass it in the corner. It wasn't his fault. The guy who tried to handle the pass, who's going to the Hall of Fame, it was his fault that went in the net. So don't ask me about it. It's not my problem. I put it in the corner. It's his problem. So... I give him a yellow card as well. We're on the same page. I'm not giving out any extra reds, except for Ryan Rashad. Red for pulling up lame to host his own pod because, I don't know, he's, he's under the weather or something. So he left it to you and I. 
But we did what we had to do, Pierre. We got through the whole thing. And that's with a couple of yellow cards will end this edition of the Got Your Back podcast, NHL edition with Pierre Lebrun, Mike Johnson, no Ryan Rashad. We will see you next time. A plus for MJ.